Well, good morning, Seven Mile Road. We are continuing in our series entitled Warmth in the Home this morning, and we will be discussing what it looks like to have a warm marriage. The belief that if a marriage grows cold, the capacity to continue to cultivate warmth in the home quickly dissipates. That this relationship that is central to the building of a home is required uh, to be warm if the whole of the house is going to remain that way. And simultaneously, as we're in this season paying attention to the, the pressure that we're under as a result of navigating this pandemic, there is this recognition that, that marriage is always hard, but it is distinctly difficult in a season like the one that we're in. When we're pressed back into our homes, some of us perhaps have begun to live lives with a spouse somewhat independent. We've kind of had our, our freedom, and yes, there's togetherness, but, but in this last few months, feeling like, wow, our lives have really been pressed down together, there is a lot being written about the challenges of marriage in the midst of COVID. Domestic violence is on an increase. Divorce is being talked about. There was a hashtag, hashtag COVID divorce. The reality that I am coming into an awareness that my marriage is not tenable and it's been this season that has revealed that. Well, brothers and sisters, I just want you to hear loudly and clearly from the leadership here at Seven Mile Road. We love you and we are committed to you and to the health of your marriages. I just want you to know at the outset that if you're in need, I'd love for you to raise your hand. Know that we will provide counseling. Uh, Seven Mile Road will cover marriage counseling for you, three sessions if you're in need in this season. And that will happen under the care and direction of your pastors as they walk with you through that experience. We want to be a part of cultivating warm marriages in all seasons and especially this one. So we're going to direct our attention towards that reality this morning. One word just as we plunge in to all my single friends that are tempted to hit pause or fast forward saying, all right, I'm out on what's about to happen over the next 25 minutes. I just want to encourage you to lean in with us. This is a word for our whole community in hopes that what you hear in these coming moments would inform the way that you would pray for and support your parents, your brothers and sisters that are walking through marriage around you in the life of our community as well as preparing your heart if God were to call you into marriage in the way that you would consider the call on your own heart and life and the sort of man or woman that you're praying for and seeking. And so I would invite all of us, married or single, to lean in knowing that as we as a community honor marriage and we pursue warm marriages, that this will bear tremendous fruit in our lives and in our community. In order to explore this topic together, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3 verses 1 through 7 are one of, is one of the critical New Testament passages that, that kind of scale out for us, begin to paint a picture for us of what makes for a warm marriage. So if you would, direct your attention to the text with me and permit me to remind you what the prophet Isaiah says about the scriptures. He says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. We would be really wise to pay attention this morning to what God has to say about the nature of marriage. It says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. 
when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Verse 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. In this text, like, uh, like others like it in the New Testament, we get real clear directives as to how a warm marriage begins to take shape. And what this text is going to teach us very simply is this. A warm marriage is comprised of a submissive wife and an understanding husband. Two components that as they come together in unity, these two components together are going to spell warmth in a marriage. A submissive wife and an understanding husband together. And so we're going to take them in the order that Peter addresses them, starting with a a woman's role as a wife in the context of marriage. Now, this, this word that is introduced to us at the beginning of this text and is re-engaged uh, later in the text in verse 5 is this word for submission. It's the same word used in verse 1 where we read, be subject. And in verse 5, submitting to their own husbands. This word is one that we, if, if we're not careful, will immediately draw back from and think of as a dirty word. I just want to set the context for us that if you were to zoom out and to to take in the whole of what the scriptures have to say about how husbands and wives are to interact with one another. What started in the garden with Adam and Eve and the fall and the curse of sin on covenant relationship and marriage, what we see is that as a result of the fall, rather than beautiful interactive unity between husband and wife, now a husband wants to rule over his wife because of sin and a wife's desire is for her husband wanting to usurp his headship and his authority. And so what was intended to be beautiful union in the garden between Adam and Eve becomes tense because a woman is grasping for authority and a husband is trying to rule and things are not operating in the way that God intended. Well, in the New Testament, as the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ are applied to a community that's living under his lordship time and time again in the different New Testament passages where the gospel is applied to the, to the marriage that's laboring under the curse in this world, The invitation is for men and women to receive the goodness of the gospel and return to the glories of Eden. And in the glories of Eden, what we are going to see is that men and women are are responding to one another in beautiful, humble ways. And the way that that gets described for women is to submit to their own husbands, to submit to their own husbands, to come under the headship and the authority of loving and understanding husbands. And so what I want to do is explore what this means. And hopes that in so doing, we can also uh, unearth what it doesn't mean. We see that uh, not all of the details are going to be worked out for us in this text. As Karen Job, uh, Dr. Karen Job, Greek scholar and professor of New Testament at Wheaton said, as it relates to this passage, she said, Peter wisely does not spell out in specific terms what it means for a Christian wife to submit to her husband. Or for a Christian husband to live considerately with his wife. 
The apostle rather laid down principles and then left the details to be worked out between spouses. The church today is right to uphold a biblical order within marriage that mirrors the relationship of Christ and his church. But it should also follow Peter's wisdom and refrain from trying to specify what that must look like in every case. So what, what Karen Job is saying is so helpful here that we're going to uphold the standards of the way that the scriptures talk about a warm marriage without trying to specify every particular detail for how each husband and wife is going to work that out. Well, submissive wives, what we learn is a few things in this text about the way that a woman is submitting and what it produces in a marriage. The first thing that we learn in the first two verses of this text is that a submissive wife is constantly turning her husband's heart to Jesus. Did you hear it in verse 1 and 2? It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word... So Peter's saying, listen, some of you are married to non-Christians that are unconcerned about what God would say. And he's saying, even in that instance, responding to your husband in a way that is submissive and, and responding gently and graciously to him, that this will win your husband without a word by the conduct of these wives when, they, when your husband see your respectful and pure conduct. What he's saying is that a submissive wife turns her husband's heart to Jesus. He's saying that wordless sermons are really powerful at home wordless sermons. He says, without a word, you will win your husband. Because when, when you begin to graciously bless and serve the person that you live with, without using words, it's incredibly powerful. Wordless sermons are most powerful at home because the people that you are preaching your wordless sermons to see you in your, in your PJs. They brush their teeth with you. They experience life with you. And when you graciously make a determination, I'm going to serve, and I'm going to serve without using this as a weapon or with, without covering over with lots of words, that that melts a heart. Ashley is so good at this with me, of gently serving me, especially in the moments where I least deserve it. And there are a few things that introduce warmth into our home and melt my heart more quickly. The opposite, lots and lots of words trying to direct your husband and expose all the ways that they're not doing what they ought to be doing is very ineffective. Women, wives in our community, I'm begging you, be careful about constantly sermonizing, explaining to your husband all the ways that he could do his job better. Proverbs 29, 11 warns us that it's the fool that gives full vent to his spirit or her spirit, speaking everything that, that's within them. And, and Solomon applies that even to marriage in Proverbs 21 and in Proverbs 25, saying it's better to live on the corner of the rooftop than to live in the house with a quarrelsome or a nagging wife. You see, there's this juxtaposition between a wife that is speaking wordless sermons, serving and blessing a husband, and a wife that's constantly covering her husband over with words. And the text is, is inviting women to say, would you, would you begin to engage and, and not that you never speak about challenging issues, but what he's saying is, would you lead first without a word in the way that you serve and lay your life down to bless and to raise up your husband? A submissive wife that does that is turning her heart's husband to Jesus. She's showing him what Jesus is like. A, a second note about the, what is produced by, by submissive wives is that they are unlocking eternal beauty. Look back at verse 3 and 4a with me. It says, don't let your adorning be external. What's really interesting is the word for adorning is cosmos there, literally world. 
It's used 187 times in the New Testament. 186 times it means the world, and one time here it means adorning. In essence, what he's saying is don't let your world be external, being about braiding of hair, jewelry, and clothing. He's saying if your world is all about what's unfolding outside, your hair, your jewelry, and your clothes, he says this is not the way that it ought to be. He says rather let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with an imperishable or an eternal beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit. Wives, if you are straining towards physical beauty, if you invest lots and lots of your energy and your thought and your dollars, thinking if I can have a big enough wardrobe, enough shoes, enough jewelry, nice enough haircuts, that I will, I will as it were, unlock lasting beauty. Focusing all of our energy on the things that are external actually introduces coldness into the marriage. And I would just say as a word, as an aside, husbands, if you put pressure and, and you actually are communicating to your wife that what you are most drawn to is the world of the outside, that we are setting up an exhausting journey that is going to have uh, limited returns. I'll just say it like this, not to be crass, but let's just all own up to this reality. Over time, gravity wins. We will all look really different at the end of our marriages than the beginning of our marriage, men and women both. And if we have made it about how we appear to one another on the outside, thinking that's what's going to produce lasting warmth, we are fighting a losing battle that will leave us exhausted. What he says is this. He said, let me tell you about the wellspring of eternal beauty. This is what it looks like. Gentle and quiet. Gentle means meek. It means, it means that uh, not disputing, not argumentative. And quiet doesn't just mean I don't open my mouth. That's not the invitation from Peter. What it means is it means to keep one's seat and to remain peaceable. This is a woman who says, I'm going to put more energy and more thought to what it looks like to be peaceable, to live in harmony, than to just develop a beautiful wardrobe and always be put together just so. So, let me ask you, women, where do you invest the majority of your time and energy and thought? Is it things that are seen or things that are unseen? Growing in your external beauty or growing in the ways that you are peaceable and the ways that you continue to live in union without disputing with those around you? Well, lastly, this sort of woman who is turning hearts to Jesus and unlocking eternal beauty, God says in verses 4b through 6 that this sort of woman uh, is supremely valuable in God's sight. Did you see it? It says this, which in God's sight is very precious. That's, same, that's the same phrase for the ointment that's poured out on Jesus' feet. It means really, really costly, valuable. That this sort of woman is really valuable in God's sight. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. You see, things that are valuable, these are things that are unique or they're, they're not just readily available everywhere. They're lasting and they're beneficial and beautiful. A wife that responds to her husband in these ways is so valuable in God's sight. Precious, scarce even, not the norm, actually produced by something divine. 
a woman that responds in these ways, introducing warmth into her marriage in these ways. Let me just say this. This is true for husbands and wives alike, but right now as we're applying this text to our women, let me just say this. Ladies, wives, marriage is not about self-actualization, self-fulfillment, or self-assertion. It's about death. Death to self which I think is why he finishes his comments to the women by saying, don't be afraid by anything that's frightening. It can feel a bit frightening to think, okay, so I'm going to lay my life down in these ways for my husband. Even some that may not be responding to the word of God may not be worthy of my investment in these ways. And Peter goes, right there, that's the moment where you need to lean in most. Because when you committed to love someone, what you committed to do was die to yourself in a real and a profound way. You see, the first marker of a warm marriage is a submissive wife who is speaking wordless sermons, turning hearts to Jesus, unlocking eternal beauty, and is, is living into this very precious call from God. But now let's, let's, a word to our husbands in the room, a word to the men, that, that an understanding husband is the other marker of a marriage that's properly operating. Look at back at verse 7. It says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Literally, this means according to knowledge. According to knowledge. The idea being that, men, you would actually seek to know your bride, really know her. Not take it for granted, not assume that you know what's going on, but to remain endlessly curious to discover your bride. When he says in an understanding way, he says, according to knowledge, that you actually know her. Ashley and I got sucked into a series a couple of years back called Parenthood. And at the center of this sprawling family is the patriarch and the matriarch that are laboring later in life, learning how to still love one another. They start going to counseling and the husband learns this particular phrase to say to his wife in moments where they're struggling. And, And I've actually taken it up somewhat humorously in our home. We'll quote this back to each other, Ashley and I. That the, the, the husband, played by Craig T. Nelson, at times will stop and look at his wife and he'll repeat what the counselor taught him to say. He'll say, I see you and I hear you. And in essence, what he's doing is being trained to realize that there's so much of life where if we're not careful as husbands, we will move quickly and take for granted what's actually happening and not actually hear the, the, the heart of our wife. And so we need to be the sort of men that will stop and say, okay, in this moment, I see you and I hear you. According to knowledge. I had the great privilege of discipling a man years ago and uh, I got to stand with him on his wedding day and he had written written his vows to speak to his wife. And as he stood there and began to recite the vows that he had written, I realized this great joy that that the student had become the teacher. And in that moment, I started to go, oh God, let those vows be true of me in my marriage because he captured it so beautifully. This is what he said. Before God in his glory, I say to you in your beauty and to everyone as witnesses that I begin with a confession. I barely know you. I have an infant understanding of the complexities of your mind, a childlike grasp on how to serve you. I only have an impression of you a passing knowledge of your scars and your bruises and your beauties and your wounds and your victories. And lastly, I'm tempted to despair at the thought that you would know all of me. And he goes on to describe that as he presses in until they meet Jesus, that he will make it his joy and his delight to get to know his bride. You see that language of realizing, 
I think I know you, but I barely have even begun. If we had husbands raise up with that sort of curiosity and that commitment, we would begin to have husbands that are living with their wives in an understanding way. Saying, I actually want to know you, what you cherish and what you are concerned about. Secondly, when this happens, when we really aim to know our wives, we will value them as delicate, as royal, as equal. Look at back at verse 7b. It says this, You will show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. This statement, weaker vessel, can grate on our modern ears, but I would just invite you to pause and consider what he's saying is this. It's kind of like saying women are fine china and men are thermoses. The idea being that it's not a statement of lesser than, but what he's saying is delicate, handled with care in the sense that incredibly valuable. He's using a similar phrase that is, that is mirroring God's value earlier in the text. He's saying, show honor. That means treat as incredibly valuable. And the way that the china in our home, even years later, still when it gets used, it's always hand-washed, handled with care. He's saying, husbands, don't ever get over the value of your bride. Just because you've lived with her for years or for decades and because you're running fast, he says, pause, look at her, say, I see you, I hear you. And as you do, handle with care because she's precious. She's delicate. And in being delicate, she's royal and she's equal to you. He says she's an heir with you of grace, a child, a daughter of the king that's going to inherit all of the glories of heaven. Treat her as royal and equal and delicate. Men, do not take your brides, do not begin to take them for granted. I remember going often to a friend's house in high school. His parents had been married for close to 30 years. And I remembered on multiple occasions that we would walk in and I felt awkward, like I had, was in a place I shouldn't be because they would be sitting on the couch and the husband would be rubbing his wife's feet and looking, making eye contact and talking to her. And I, years later, started to look back and go, oh, it felt like the tenderness in that home was so, so beautiful, so intimate that when you came in, you're like, this is kind of a sacred space. Husbands that we, for decades, will be the sorts of men that pause, see, hear our wives, curious to know their hearts, treating them with tenderness. This is what it is to live in an understanding way. And what comes as a result is that we will pray powerfully. Isn't it interesting that this is where he finishes? In verse 7c, he says this, so that your prayers would not be hindered. There are prayers that God doesn't listen to. Did you know that? And those prayers, as it relates to this text, are offered by brutish men. If you don't see and listen to your wife and live with her in an understanding way, God plugs his ears. He says, don't come in here and talk about all these other things. When you haven't started with basic principles, go back and do what I've invited you to do and let's talk about it. There are prayers that God doesn't answer. He hinders certain prayers and they're the prayers of brutish men. You see, we've been talking about fire in the closet and warmth in the home. They are cyclically related. That once we've cultivate fire in the closet, we will begin to lean in with warmth in the home. And warmth in the home empowers our prayers all the more that they begin to function in a way influencing each other. Brothers, please, literally for for God's sake, for the good of your home, 
Live in an understanding way with your brides so that your prayers would be powerful and that you would begin to experience what God has intended in a warm marriage. Well, submissive wives and understanding husbands make up warm marriages. My invitation to you is this. Stir the flames in your marriage. Stir them not by listening for your spouse. Right now, you may be tempted to be thinking, yeah, I hope my wife is listening. I I hope she's listening and she's going to stop covering me over with with words and sermons and that she's going to... Husbands, quit listening on behalf of your bride and listen for your own heart. Are you seeing her? Are you hearing her? Are you treating her tenderly? Are you rubbing her feet and asking good questions and being endlessly curious about her? Men, labor to know your wives truly. And wives... Quit listening on behalf of your husband. Don't think, yeah, I wish my husband would stop just running right past. Listen for your own heart. Will you begin to to wordlessly announce the glories of Jesus in the way that you serve and bless and unlock eternal beauty in your heart and your life, being gentle and meek? Now, I realize that all of us right now, this feels heavy. Daily and weekly, I sin against my bride by not being understanding in the way that I live with her. Daily and weekly, we're sinning against one another, and I would just invite you as we close to set your gaze on Jesus. This, as we take inventory of our own hearts and lives, and then we set our gaze on Jesus, this is where warmth is cultivated, where the furnace begins to flame up. Because what we realize is this, that Jesus is our great hope. Women, if you're, tr- if you're wrestling with what does it really mean to be submissive and gentle and lowly and meek, look at your King Jesus, who preached a beautiful, wordless sermon on the cross, serving and blessing his bride right at the moment where his spouse least deserved his, surf- his service. And he did it humbly and meekly. Do you see that in Jesus, we see the perfect picture of submission and gentleness and quietness of spirit. And men, as you're wrestling with, what does it mean to really know and to tend to tenderly the bride? We look at Jesus where where he comes and he sees and he pays attention to the bride. He draws near to her. He draws near to us as the church and he takes into account our struggles and our concerns and then in the very moment where we least deserve it, he tenderly blesses and cares for us. That we see in Jesus the perfect picture of deeply knowing the bride, of truly submitting to and serving and blessing the one who has authority. That in Jesus we have a perfect picture. And so brothers and sisters, Let us be the sort of men and women that cherish Jesus first. And as we do, would you take inventory? It just takes one. You can't listen on behalf of your spouse, but as you set your gaze on Jesus and you begin to be responsible for your call in your marriage, you will introduce warmth that will begin to pervade. And so towards that end, I want to just pray over our marriages. Would you join me as we pray in response to this text? God, would you make it true that we are a family, a seven-mile road marked by healthy and strong marriages. Marriages made up of of wives that are willing to submit. Husbands that are willing to pay attention to live with their brides in an understanding way. Would you forgive us for the ways that we have been about self and flesh rather than laying ourselves down for your good and your glory and your grace? 
God, would you please restore us, humble us, renew and refresh our marriages this week. We pray for warm marriages where Jesus is central, where husbands are knowing their brides, where wives are submitting to their husbands, and your glory is raining down. Make it true. We beg it in Jesus' name. Amen.